Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome back to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brennan Bolin, and I'm joined alongside my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, my man? Pretty good, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Ed, and you know why I'm doing fantastic. Cincinnati, baby. They did it, Ed. They freaking did it. But before we get into that, before I get too excited, you know, we that was what a week of college football. I mean, it went a lot differently than you and I predicted. You know, we we said Oregon was going to pull the win out cuz there's no way that a Utah could beat Utah could beat that talented of a team twice in a year. Well, guess what? They gave them another pounding. And then Baylor somehow was able to pull out the win in that insane insane gold line goal line stand. I mean, Oklahoma State had what seven six or seven plays inside of the two-yard line and Baylor's defense stood tall they kind of went complete flip-flop of how I said the game was going to go I said Oklahoma State's defense was going to stand tall and that would be the reason that Oklahoma State would win but Baylor was like no no it's it's going to be the other way around buddy so that that was a really really exciting game and you know obviously the Cincinnati game was incredible because finally Ed Finally, for the first time in college football history, a non-Power 5 conference team has made it into the college football playoffs. And I know you and I have been rooting for them harder than most. And I, I, I'm seriously, I, I was with you when they finally did it. And we were like a little kid on Christmas, man. We were ecstatic. Ed, what does this mean for college football? And, you know, I get it. Cincinnati's not this big Power 5 team, but They've ran through a lot of teams. It's hard to lose one game in a two-year span. And they proved they could beat a team like Notre Dame. So how is Cincinnati going to fare in the college football playoffs, Ed? Well, I, I think, I think you know, when, when they decide, and, and they may have already decided, but they're, they're definitely a Big 12 team uh, of the future. You know, once that sort of conference push in Oklahoma goes to the SEC, um <clears throat> You you best believe that Cincinnati is is going to be a Power Five conference team, but you know I I hope the door is open for uh, the future for you know more Power Five conference teams to do it you know in the future and uh, you know give every give every every team a chance you know we've seen so many times where guys are just not highly recruited. I mean you could just go back to even like Stetson Bennett right like he you know he know you know he's not a he's not a starred recruit you know he he was a walk on. And, you know, he went to Georgia and, you know, he ends up winning the quarterback job. And frankly, I mean, you know, he deserves some of the credit, at least for them being where they are. So, I mean, you know, he, you know, that, I mean, I give more credit to Jordan Davis, but, you know, we understand, we understand where they are because of him. He's basically held things together for them on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, you know, you just never know, right? Like you just never know with uh, high school recruits. So, um, and, 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 you know, they've done a great job of, you know, recruiting and, you know, some of their, some of their recruiting could be, you know, better than, you know, some power five conference schools. No, absolutely. And uh, like you said, this is, this could be a big step into, you know, kind of cementing Cincinnati as a legitimate, you know, competitive football school. If they end up, you know, making that transition to a power five conference, it's going it, to, it is already probably the most attractive non-power five conference school for football and it's gonna it's gonna become even more attractive but ed it you know they they got a pretty tough matchup coming up ahead of them they're going up against alabama and this alabama team just stuck it to georgia and let's not forget georgia had the best defense we've seen in like a decade like that georgia football team was is is incredibly incredibly good and they they kind of bullied them a little bit. So, do you want my my optimistic answer or my honest answer on how I think this game's going to go? Quite honestly, I I really do think this is going to be a blowout. Sadly, I I don't want to say that, but that doesn't I don't want to, you know, make make that sound like I don't think Cincinnati deserves to be where they're at because I really think you could put probably 95% of the teams in this situation and they're going to get blown out regardless of who they are. They just Nick Saban just proved it to me. When it comes time to do it, his team is going to shut up and stick to it and they're they're going to kick some butt. With the sheer talent 
the foot that Alabama football team has and the five-star recruits, it's just going to be really, really, really hard for Cincinnati to, you know, really even compete in this game. And, you know, Cincinnati played fantastic last week against Houston. Jerome Ford had 187 yards, averaged over 10 yards a carry. Desmond Ritter had zero interceptions, went and had three passing touchdowns as well. Like, this Cincinnati team is incredible. There's a reason they're the number four team in the nation. There's also a reason Alabama's the number one and why they just stuck it to Georgia. So I simply, I just don't think roster-wise Cincinnati's going to have the opportunity to match up. And, you know, like... It's kind of, they're in the same boat as Georgia was. You're not going to be able to run the football because Cincinnati, even though they, they averaged over 10 yards a carry last week with Jerome Ford, you're not going to do that against Alabama's defensive front, especially with your offensive line ranking around 50th in the nation in run blocking. It's it's just not going to happen. So you have to put a lot of, a lot of stress on um, Desmond Ritter's shoulders. Desmond Ritter's going to have to take care of the football. You know, the reason that Alabama really won last week is because they won the turnover differential. If you want any shot at beating Alabama, you have to take advantage of every opportunity you have the ball. No empty possessions. Like you just you just can't lose the turnover battle because if Alabama has the ball more than you, they're going to score pretty much every time they have the ball. So you need to match that score. You can't let up and I I really I want to say Cincinnati has a chance, but I just saw what Alabama's receiving core did to that Georgia secondary. I get I get that, you know, Sauce Gardner, Sauce Gardner freaking hasn't given up a touchdown in his college career, but he's not going up against these five-star receivers that, you know, that Bama has, and that's not me, you know, dissing on Sauce Gardner at all. He is one of the best cornerbacks in college football and has had one of the most productive careers as a corner in college football, but I I just, it's going to be really, really hard to cover these Alabama receivers. You know, they, they might get lucky uh, with Mechie being out with a potential season-ending, you know, leg injury, which is really unfortunate for Alabama. But you think ba- Bama only has two good receivers? No, dude, their fourth-string receivers could start on most college football teams. So it's a very, very big ask for Cincinnati's secondary. And Cincinnati is so freaking lucky that, you know, probably the strongest aspect of this football team is that secondary. So you you just have to ball out. It's going to be really, really tough just based off speed alone. I mean, Alabama's made made Georgia look like they ran five-second 40s. You know, they, they simply beat them by sheer athleticism and speed. So you're going to have to play a really physical football game for if you're a secondary player for Cincinnati. There's a narrative that I'm hearing, you know, kind of in the sports broadcast, and they say, you know, well, Cincinnati is built like a Power 5 conference team. And, you know, the the size of their players might be, um, you know, better suited to play a Power 5 conference team. I believe that. I believe that when you play against Notre Dame. But when you play against Alabama, you know, I mean, like, they're not, they're not just drawing anybody, you know. Um, Jamison Williams, I mean, honestly, <laughs> there's no reason you can't pick him top 10. If the Steelers needed a receiver and they were picking in the top ten, I would I would really really consider this guy. I mean, this guy is a speed demon. This guy can take over games. Uh, he's the leading receiver over Mechie, who is also a top first round pick. So, and when you talk Bolitnikov, Jamison Williams. So, I mean, we've seen what he's done. You know, there's there's a guy on the defensive side of the ball who, to be honest with you, he probably won't get picked as high as the Michigan guy or the Oregon guy, but the Alabama guy had the best stats, right? He had 15 and a half sacks and 32 and a half tackles for loss. This is Will Anderson uh, from Alabama. So, I mean, when you talk about a loaded edge class, this is a loaded edge class. And, uh, you know, Will Anderson, you know, probably won't be, you know, one of those names called early in, in the next draft, but this is this is a guy to keep your eyes on. I mean, this is a guy who's, when you think about that, 32 and a half tackles for loss. Yeah, so I mean, to be honest with you, like, there are guys who will go number one, number two, number three, number four, you know, in the top five. I think two guys who will go in the top five. Neither of them, neither of them will win defen- Defensive Player of the Year. He'll win Defensive Player of the Year. 
No, absolutely. And you made a great point that Cincinnati, you look at their roster, they don't look like they're, you know, a non-Power 5 conference team. And they showed that, you know, they can compete with a team like Notre Dame. But like you said, Notre Dame's offense is, I mean, offense and defense. But like just looking at the offense alone, you know, Jack Cohen is no Bryce Young, you know, like that, that, that Notre Dame offense really is not that impressive. And like, like, I'm glad you mentioned Jamison Williams because he, like, he really created that spark that pulled Alabama away in that football game. I don't think there's a guy on Cincinnati's secondary that physically or just sheer speed alone can match up with him. So like I was saying, you have to be physical. And I, I get that Cincinnati, they, they have a very, very good football team built. And they're not some puny little you know, non-Power 5 conference team. They're built like a legitimate college football playoff team. That's why they're here. But I just, man, like I've said it a couple times, but I get so nervous just seeing how they demolished one of the greatest defenses in the history of college football. They demolished them. They made the defense look silly. Put 41 points on them. That's unbelievable. So I I just, you, that's a big ass for Cincinnati. That's a big ass for Cincinnati. Ed, I want to know what your final score prediction for this game is. Gosh, I think Alabama puts up 42. Okay. And I think I think Cincinnati puts up 28. And All right. Yeah. I, 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 but, you know, there there is one matchup that I, I mean, and, and you've kind of already talked about it, but you got, you got Jamison Williams on one side. You got John Mechie on the other side. And then you got Kobe Bryant. Not that Kobe Bryant, but Kobe Bryant. And Sauce Gardner. I mean, that's a that's a. I mean, when you talk about one on ones, I mean, that's a that's a fun matchup to watch, right? Like that'll be that'll be a fun matchup to watch and to see who 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 reigns supreme. And I think, uh, you know, we just, you know we're gonna start talking draft more. I mean, we are an NFL draft site. You know, the, the, these matchups are gonna be mentioned in the draft process. Absolutely, and I think these matchups could be really big in helping all of those guys you just named raise their draft stock because this is going to be some of the biggest competition either of them have played this year and um this like this is probably the biggest game within the game for the Alabama versus Cincinnati is that secondary versus the receiving core because it's kind of the strong points of each team so um both both sides or both aspects of those teams have guys that are going very very high in the draft so it's going to be really exciting to watch, and I just really hope that I I'm a big Sauce Gardner fan, so I'm hoping I'm hoping that Jamison Williams doesn't just run past him like he did Georgia and you know give up his first touchdown of his college career. But you know if it happens, it's bound to happen, and you know if it's against Jamison Williams, I think I'll I'll give that one a little bit of slack. But I think my final score prediction for this one, Ed. Oh, it hurts me to say it, but I'm going to go Alabama 40, Cincinnati 23. I, I wish it I wish it could be closer. I really do. I just Nick Saban kind of proved to me. He slapped me in the face last week and said, "Hey, you better give me my respect now. Don't don't go around and slandering me and saying that these people can beat me because every time I've talked down Nick Saban, he's made me look like an idiot. So, until until he proves me, until he proves me wrong, I'm not going to do it." And now speaking of Nick Saban, man, the dude, he reigns supreme. Him and Bama reign supreme whenever it matters most. And Ed, you said this on the podcast last week. When it comes to these types of games, Nick Saban's going to have his guys ready. You were right, Ed. You were 100% right. I was wrong. I'll admit that right here, my friend. And I love and, these. I love I love when, when when it's the me that's right and you that's wrong. But <laughs> I, I know you, it. You know, Alex, Alex had, I think Alex might have even had the, the, the top four being Michigan, Cincinnati, Georgia, and Bama. <laughs> so what, what a beast. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um i love it I, that that's you know even to to predict michigan and to be in there is is awesome yeah alex is crazy with that type of stuff but i mean he'll you know, like he'll, i said he'll take the risky he will take the risky i mean he'll, he'll, he'll you know he'll he'll risk it with his picks i respect that about him right and then once once he gets it it's like this guy looks like a freaking genius you know Although although he did pick he did pick uh Dallas. He did pick Dallas last year, which I mean, looks good this year but didn't look good last year. Right, right. But hey, you you got to you got to go out on a limb every once in a while just so if you hit on that one, you look like a genius, you know. 
I mean, yeah, hitting on Michigan, I mean, to know that they would beat Ohio State this year. I'm I'm hoping, I, I'm not a big fan of Michigan, but I'm hoping when it comes to it, if they have to play Bama, they can somehow do it. I have never rooted for Michigan in my entire life. I don't care who plays Bama at the end of the day, as long as they beat them in the in the in the championship. But you know, Bama Bama proved to me that there probably isn't a team in this college football and playoffs that's that's going to even really stand a chance after they just made, like I said, one of the greatest defenses in college football history just look bad. They looked like they looked bad. the The secondary simply looked like they were just the worst team. They, it's it's not like they were completely destroyed schematically. Like the, the Jameson Williams literally just ran past these people, Ed. They ran past them, and I think in this game it kind of Bryce Young kind of ran away with the Heisman Trophy. Like I don't think there's a debate that it's anybody else's trophy anymore. After after 420, 421 yards, three touchdown passes, and another on the ground against the Georgia defense in the SEC championship. I mean that it, it, the stage doesn't get much bigger than that, so I I can't really see how this award is anybody else's. Even even as a huge C.J. Stroud fan, I I don't think he has any chance to win this award anymore. And Bryce Young, I honestly think deserves this award. It, it just came down to Georgia couldn't match Alabama's offense. Alabama looked better on both sides of the ball, so Georgia couldn't elevate their offense. And like I said last week. They weren't going to be able to rely on the run game, which they couldn't. They were averaging like four yards a carry. And so they just, they won in the conversion ratio, which is really, really big against a team like like Alabama that can score every time they have the ball. I mean, they were three for 12 on third down. You can't do, if you want to beat Alabama, you simply can't do that. You have to be at least above 50%. And well, meanwhile, Alabama goes 50%, seven for 14, so... I really think if Georgia took better care of the football, because Alabama won the turnover margin by two, if Georgia just took better care of the football, they could have made this score look a lot prettier and the game look a lot closer than it really was. Like that interception by Jordan Battle was really like, you know, Alabama's got this game in the bag. It's, It's over, right? I really thought that Georgia had a chance to come back into it. But anytime you kind of saw them, you know, gain that momentum play, boom. Alabama's defense came away with an interception or a big third down stop and causing them to punt. It just everything that went wrong or that could have went wrong at key situations went wrong for Georgia. And that's why they lost that game. It's interesting how the talk stat works is that it's almost like a predictor of how how a game's going to go. And I mean, with the two things that are in the formula are basically splash plays and turnovers, right? So it's like if you make splash plays and you win the turnover battle, uh, you're you're gonna win the game, and uh, you know <laughs> you can almost simplify a lot of NFL games to that. But I think I think you could do the same thing with college football. I mean, college football doesn't have as evenly matched up games, so the you know the rate isn't as good. But I mean, at the same time, when you take you know take a Georgia and you take an Alabama, which you know both teams are elite, that that kind of that kind of statistic matters. Right, absolutely. Because, you know, teams like this are just so productive on the offensive side of the ball that just by basic math, if they get the ball more times, they're going to score more times. It's it's really that simple. And I, I think it's going to be that simple for any team that wants to beat Alabama. You have to win the turnover battle. It you How, how else are you going to beat Alabama? Because you're not going to force them to punt, you know, eight times a game. You just you somehow have to find a way to really disrupt Bryce Young's rhythm and just anything you can do to not give him an opportunity to take the top off. Whether that's sending, if you're sending blitzes against Alabama, you better pray to the heavens that your that your secondary is fast. And I don't mean fast. I mean like Tyreek Hill fast because everybody at the Alabama has got wheels. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got wheels. So if you're gonna it's just Alabama is built so perfectly because you can't blitz because you leave these guys in one-on-one coverage and they thrive in those situations so if Cincinnati can or if whatever team can find out just a way to cause a disruption in the rhythm that Alabama was able to have last week 
that's really the only chance because Georgia couldn't do it. And if the best defense in the last, you know, 10, 15 years couldn't do it, I, I really don't know how anybody else is going to do it throughout the rest of the playoffs. I mean, if if somehow the matchup be- becomes Michigan versus Alabama, which I don't necessarily see happening, but you know what? This is college football. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe Aiden Hutchinson's able to have himself a game and just, you know, kind of be that game wrecker and get pressure on Bryce Young. But I, I just... I don't see anybody in the playoffs finding a way to slow down this Alabama offense when it really comes down to it, Ed. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think I mean this is another this is another Alabama year. Right? I mean how many times are we gonna say that, man? I, I hope we don't have to say that sentence too many more times in the years to come, that this is another Alabama year. You know, hey maybe maybe one year it'll be CSU's year. Not not <laughs> for the next seventy five years likely, but <laughs> Maybe one year, but yeah. I, I, hey, I, well, think, I think the letters that you should be saying next should be USC. <laughs> I, th- I think <laughs> you, you should think more move USC. those around a little bit. Yeah, I think after Steve Adazio, I don't, I don't know, uh, things don't look good. Hey, just some advice for all you listening: if you ever, you know, want a heart that's not broken every weekend, don't be a CSU Rams fan, don't be a Cleveland Browns fan. Not a good combination. <laughs> not a good combination. <laughs> That's what we like but, about you. <laughs> you're right. Hey, you're still, it, it, you're still coming keeps back. me humble. Keeps me humble. <laughs> but hey, while we're talking about Alabama, st- let's stay in the SEC. We have an awesome interview from a former Ole Miss kicker, uh, also kicked at the University of Northern Colorado, Patrick Nashotka. I'm going to let Ed take over, and I'll be back with you guys in a little bit. We'd like to welcome Patrick Nashotka to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Super excited to do this. Awesome. Would you consider kicking more of a mental game or a physical one? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the times people want to, you know, say it's mental, but, you know, there is like a huge physical side of the game, of course. But uh, personally, I think over the last couple of years, I think the thing I've really learned is, yeah, definitely is like, in my opinion, it's a little bit more on the mental side of the game, um, you know, because when you get to this level and you get to college, you know, everybody's got a big leg, everybody's strong, you know, everybody can hit those big balls, but it just kind of comes down to, you know, locking in. And, you know, we always talk about this is, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta worry about the mental game and like, you gotta worry about the field, you know, between the ears. Um, and so for me, yeah, I think, I think definitely it's more mental it's about, you know, blocking out the distractions and the little things that, could go wrong and you know you don't want to think about that you gotta have a good mindset going into you know each and every kick and you gotta take it one kick at a time and I think sometimes that gets guys in trouble is you're just thinking too far down the line but yeah I think I think in the last few years I've definitely learned that it's definitely much more a mental game than necessarily physical these days tell me about your juco experience yeah juco was um Juco was definitely an interesting experience by, uh, by a lot of different accounts. Um, you know, when I was in junior college, it was right when, um, you know, Last Chance U came out on Netflix. And so there was a lot of craze going on about, you know, junior college sports and junior college football. Um, and if you've ever seen the show, you know, it's, it's pretty accurate. I got to say, you know, there was a lot of like similarities to my junior college experience and like what I was seeing on Netflix, but, um, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really gritty. Um, you know, I came from a Division One school before I went to junior college, and so, um, you know, in Division One you have everything. You have, you know, academic support. You have a training table. You know, you got top-notch facilities. You, you got everything. And then when you go down to junior college, you know, it's really like it's on you. You know, everything. Um, you know, you have to be really disciplined when it comes to your academics, uh, your work ethic. You know, putting in that extra effort. Um, and I think like one of the hardest parts for me was you know going from having a training table and having like you know all your meals um and having to learn really having to teach myself how to cook and like you know uh meal prep and do all those little things because you know if i wasn't doing that then you know at the end of the day i wasn't eating but um but junior college is uh i think it's a great stepping stone for a lot of guys and for me like it really you know made me appreciate what i did have um when i you know did go back to division one um just that much more and just really you know, didn't want to take anything for, um, for granted and really wanted to, you know, you know, definitely like, you know, have that like appreciation for, you know, the littlest things that you have. So. 
What's the most Coach Ernest Collins taught you? Oh, man. Coach Collins taught me a lot of things. And I think the biggest thing for me was just uh, attention to detail. I think um, that's something that kind of gets overlooked at times. And I think, um, you know, that was something that he really, like, preached. It was like, you know, let's, you know, you got to do the little things right before you can do the big things right. And so just that attention to detail, you know, and it was it was my last season of college football with him. But, you know, for me, there was still like a lot of learning to be done, um, you know, on the field and off the field. And just, you know, every single day you come to work, you know, it's got to be it's got to be focused. It's got to be disciplined. You have to, you know, if you want to you know, make that jump and you want to make that leap to being, you know, going from a good player to an elite player, it's, um, you know, it's very finite and you have to, you know, be willing to do the littlest things correct and I think that was something that really got like preached um in his program and you know just having that discipline on the field off the field in the classroom you know with with everything you do you know and how you do anything is how you do everything so um that was definitely something that I learned um quite a bit from Ernest tell me about your training yeah training is uh training is huge um so yeah training right now has been going really well um I have two trainers uh, in the weight room. I got a guy by the name of Tim Naiman, who I've been working with since I was yeah, about 17, 18. Um, and then in the last couple of years, also been working with a guy by the name of uh, Sean Kirkman. Um, and these guys, you know, have really, really helped me a ton the last couple of years. You know, their programming, um, just, you know, the way that they coach me in the weight room, um, you know, everything has been great. You know, they, they're huge on, you know, power, movement, mobility, so – um, I think that's something that's really, you know, taken my game from, you know, good to great, um, definitely in the last few years. And um, I credit those guys a ton. Um, in terms of kicking, I got two coaches. I got John Carney, who is a 21-year-old seasoned NFL vet who um, I work with. Um, as well as back here, I got a guy by the name of Derek Yazzie who played at Wyoming and then bounced around the NFL himself a little bit. Um, but yeah, so right now it's about five days a week in the, uh, in the weight room and then three days a week on the field kicking. Um, and yeah, it's just really, it's been really, it's been great. It's, it's hard, it's hard work. Um, but it's something that, you know, I'm really passionate about, which, you know, honestly, those hard days, you know, they're, they're a little bit easier. So, but, um, yeah, definitely been working hard, grinding as hard as I possibly can in the weight room as well as on the field and just, you know, trying to correct the littlest mistakes, you know, just to make myself that much better. What are some challenges you've overcome with COVID? You know, I think COVID's been really hard on everybody. I think um, it's it's something that's definitely changed the landscape of a lot of things, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, getting workouts with teams and whatnot, you know. Uh, there's just so much more, you know, protocol, especially with that, uh, which makes things a little bit more difficult. Um, but all in all, I feel like for me, I feel like um, I've been able to like keep training, um, keep working hard, and I don't I don't feel like it's affected me as much as you know some other guys out there. But ultimately, I mean, I think you know COVID is you know it's been hard on the world, and um, I think you know there's a lot of people that have suffered a lot more you know than myself, and you know you know I'm just very grateful for you know good health with my family and you know my friends and everybody in that sense, and yeah, I've just been able to stay doing what I love. So as a kicker, you're kind of a workout warrior. What are the highlights from your local Columbine? Uh, yeah, I love working out. Yeah. You know, having that title workout warrior, big, uh, big fan of that. Um, I'd say the biggest highlight was um, in my most recent combine was a NFL free agent combine down in Arizona. Um, I finished second overall out of, I want to say 40 other free agent kickers. Um, and there was uh, 26 NFL teams there, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, GMs, special teams coordinators, scouts, all those guys. And, um, yeah, to finish top two was amazing. You know, I went uh, eight for nine on the field goals um, with my only miss from being from 60. Um, and I, it was just an ultimate – it was the best feeling. You know, it was definitely like a very euphoric feeling. Uh, just years of hard work paying off and just years of dedication to this and just – you know, staying down, you know, even in the hard times and the tough times and just being able to, you know, do that and have everybody in my support group, you know, I felt like it was the ultimate culmination of, you know, putting on for my family, my friends, um, and just everybody who's been there for the, you know, for the long haul. And so that was, that was the ultimate highlight was being able to finish top two. 
um, there at that combine. What's the difference between kicking a field goal in, say, the fourth quarter versus the first quarter? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, like, you know, if you would ask me this question a couple of years ago, of course, like, yeah, fourth quarter, it's, you know, it's, it's game time and stuff like that. But, um, you know, as a kicker, it's, you know, every kick is the same, um, whether that's a PAT, whether that's a long field goal, a short field goal, uh, it, it doesn't matter, you know, especially in same same thing in the time, time frame of the game. You know, you really have to to separate yourself from the game. Um, you know, you can't get too high, can't get too low, you know, depending on if your team's doing well, if your team's not doing well, you know, if the crowd's in it, if they're not, you know, you have to just be so focused on, you know, your job and your job is to, you know, put points on the board when that opportunity comes and, you know, have great kickoffs, you know, whether that's, you know, putting out the back or, you know, trying to hang something off to kind of mess with the returner a little bit. But, yeah, whether it's first quarter or fourth quarter, you know, game winner or not, you know, it's, you have to treat every kick the exact same. Um, and I think that's where sometimes guys will get in trouble is where, you know, if you try to put too much hype into it, you know, you got to be able to just relax and it's, it's just the same thing. You know, it's the same kick, you know, on the same field with the same dimensions, and you just have to break it down like that. Otherwise, if, you know, you let the moment get too big, I think that's when that's when you're going to have more missed kicks. What's your best highlighter memory with Northern Colorado? That's a great question. Um, you know, for me, I think, uh, you know, you know, football games come and go, you know, wins and losses come and go. Um, I think for me, just memories, I, I think that's the thing that I'd take away the most from, like, my career is just, you know, being with the guys, you know, every day, like, you know, you get to hang out with these guys and, you know, you go from friends to truly like family. Um, and I, I, I loved every minute of it. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a sucker for, you know, those moments in my life. And I'm very like, I get nostalgic even like thinking about it, but, um, you know, just like from workouts to being in the training room, to practices, to traveling, you know, all, all that was, those are always the highlights. Like those are the memories. And they always tell you, you know, the guys that you play with are the ones that like, will you know, be in your life forever. And, you know, until like that starts to happen, like you don't really realize that. But, you know, for me, it's like, you know, my teammates and stuff, like those are guys that like I still talk to, you know, almost every day. And so those are the memories I, I think back on the most. And just, you know, game days are always so much fun. Um, you know, just every every piece of it, you know, I think there's there's no one highlight, you know, there's no one perfect memory for me. It's just, it, it was awesome. Like every every everything about it was was the best so you know i think the best memories are just you know being with my teammates and just doing the daily grind with them and just enjoying the ride so what other sports did you play in high school I playing soccer and uh you know got to high school before i ever even kicked the football in my life um and i credit my sister for that she was the one to be like, hey, like, you know, maybe give, maybe give football a try. And, you know, I never even, like, really thought about it just because I was always, like, just so focused on soccer, like, all growing up and, you know, all through high school, too. Um, but I really feel like that, you know, that helped. And I had some really, really great coaches, um, you know, growing up as well as in high school. You know, I had a, I had a former uh, U.S. World Cup captain as my head coach in high school uh, by the name of Marcelo Balboa. And, um so, you know, my passion for football and my passion for soccer were just on the same page and just loved both of them so much. And, you know, ultimately it kind of came down to the decision to, okay, are we going to try to pursue soccer in college or is it going to be football? And, you know, of course, we went with the football decision. But, um, yeah, loved soccer. Wish I would have been able to run track. Um, that would have been really fun for me. But it was just really hard having club soccer in the springtime, which is, you know, track season, of course. And so – um, but yeah, grew up playing soccer and then, yeah, turned football player. What are your strengths? Like if we were to do a scouting report on you, what would be your strengths? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I got a lot of good strengths. I feel like, uh, definitely one of my biggest is, um, you know, my leg strength, my power, um, I hide on the ball, uh, really just having the range to be able to hit, you know, from way back, um, really been uh really been able to work on my head game and my mental space a lot um these last you know year year and a half um and i think that was something that i kind of um was something that i had to work through was just being able to you know take it one kick at a time but i think that's ultimately become one of my strengths is 
um, if I hit miss hit a ball or miss one in general, just um, being able to like move past that, move on to the next tick, um, come back to the sideline, you know, just go, okay, like, you know, that one's gone, but, you know, we got to go get the next one. we got to be ready for the next opportunity. Um, just not dwelling on that last kick. Um, I think that's something that I've really been able to work through um, and truly turn, you know, weakness into strength on that one. What is a weakness for you? Yeah, um, you know, I think one of my weaknesses um, – was you know my head game was something that i really had to work through um that was something that you know i'd really beat myself up on um if i'd miss one and you know i'd kind of let that carry into the next couple kicks or even the next kick in general um but i think that's something that i've been able to like i said you know turn from weakness to strength i think something that i still you know at sometimes you know is you know i'm so competitive and i'm so locked in that sometimes you know i can be really hard on myself during training sessions and i think that's something that um could be a weakness i think it also like you know helps me in the sense of you know i keep that edge no matter what whether it's in the weight room whether that's on the field you know no matter what it is like yeah i'm gonna be hard on myself because like i expect so much better and i think you know i can be a double-edged sword at times but i think that's something that has ultimately helped like keep my competitive drive and uh made me made me who i am you know made me who i am as a kicker today what is the longest field goal you've kicked in practice, I've been able to shoot all the way back to uh, 70. 70 is my longest. What's the most important trait for a kicker? I think confidence. Just having that swagger, that confidence. Um, you have to be the most confident person on, on the field um, at all times. Um, you know, because the thing is, is uh, you know, body language speaks for itself, too. And I think, you know, people can read that. And if you're kind of timid, um, you look like you, you know, you know, fourth quarter, your team's down by two, um, and they need you to step up and make a big kick. And, you know, if you're not confident in it and, like, you know, it doesn't look like you're confident, then, you know, who's going to believe in you? You know, who's going to have faith in you? So I think for, for sure, when I, like, hands down, is just having that confidence, having that swagger about you of just knowing that, you know, every kick you have, um, you know, it's going through. No, no matter what, you know, line it up and, going to go out there and we're going to hit that ball and it's going to go through it's just having that confidence and having that mentality is, is definitely 100 like the biggest the biggest and biggest thing that every kicker needs to have is just having that having that ability to do that how do you shut out the noise when kicking on the road you know that's something that um you know, for there are guys who they, you know they have to shut out that noise. You know, if like people are yelling at them or things like that. I'm I'm somebody who I'm I'm so competitive that like when I hear that, I I almost like lean into it. I I personally like I I love the noise. Like I love that. Like I love when there's other fans that are you know so passionate and you know they're gonna they're gonna yell at you and they're gonna say things to you on the sideline. I I, I personally that's something that I feed into because. For me, my mindset is like, yeah, like, you know, this means a lot to you, but like, it means even more to me. And, you know, you yelling in my ear, like, okay, watch this. Like, I'm going to go prove you wrong. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, bury this chick. And for me, it's, I, I love the noise. I've always been somebody who really enjoys like hearing that um, from other sidelines. Like, that's always been something that it just it keeps me going and, you know, gets me excited. So, um, but yeah, there are guys who, you know, they got to turn it up. Like, they don't want to hear it and they got to tune it out. And, think about other things or um you know you know yeah think about other things is probably the best thing for other guys like that but for me personally it's i love hearing it yeah i love to hear you know other teams and other crowds and other benches like you know yelling and being excited and i think that's the greatest part about the game is you know you know that passion from fans you know it's super fun for everybody so why are you the best kicking candidate on the free agent market you know, at the end of the day, I uh, I personally believe like I'm I'm the best kicker. I personally, I think I work harder. Um, I think I'm more dedicated than a lot of guys. Um, you know, for me, it's not about it's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about the image. It's you know, for me, it's it's all about the passion, um, and that's what drives me every day. It's just I want to work harder at this. Like, there's nothing else in my life that I'd rather be doing. Um, this is everything to me. Um, and I work harder than a lot of guys. 
Uh, I dedicate, you know, so much more to this. I, mean, I feel like a lot of guys, um, and not to say other guys aren't committed and they're not, you know, working hard either. But for me, it's like every day in the weight room, every day on the field, it's okay. Like, yeah, who, who's chasing me? Who's chasing me? Like, what, what more do I need to do today to, you know, outwork that person? You know, what do I got to do? And I think ultimately that's made made all the difference over the years and, you know, really changed my mindset of like, Oh, I think I'm good. Or I think I'm okay. So I, I truly believe I'm the best. I truly believe I'm the best on the market. Um, and I, you know, I tr- I'll stand by that statement. Um, and yeah, just, I think my work ethic speaks for itself. Patrick, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick. I really appreciate you taking your time out to being on the show Ed, thanks for thanks for taking your time out to do the interview. It's always great having some guests on the show, and really awesome to hear from a kicker. Not not a not a position I've you know had a chance to listen to an interview really. So really cool to get that perspective. But Ed, why don't we hop over into the NFL, the crazy wacky wild NFL? I mean, this I love this year. Even even with the Browns being in the position they are, they're sitting at five hundred. It is what it is. The rest of the league is keeping me on my toes, at least. And one team that kind of came out of nowhere, Ed, that is really, really clicking right now is the Indianapolis Colts. And they started the season off 0-3. They looked like they could be one of the worst teams in the league this year. And it looked like the Titans were going to run away with the AFC South. I mean, you had the 0-3 Colts, the Houston Texans, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, Tennessee was... Probably by week three, week four, they're like, wow, this might be the easiest division win of our life. But um, Jonathan Taylor said, I don't know about that, my friend. I don't know about that. The Titans are sitting at eight and four with the Colts at seven and six. So, Ed, do the Indianapolis Colts have any chance to to take this division away from the Tennessee Titans? Uh, And keep in mind, a very beat up Tennessee Titans. Well, I mean, I mean. I do believe in Vrabel and Tannehill. Like, I think that's an underrated head coach-quarterback combination. Well, absolutely. I, I love Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel is probably one of my favorite head coaches in this league. I just, with the situation that that entire offense is in, with Julio constantly being hurt, A.J. Brown hurt, and then Derrick Henry out for the rest of the season, I think that if if the Titans do win out in this division, or win the division, really lucked out by having a super hot start to the season— when it comes down to it, I don't think this team can win a game in the playoffs with, with how beat up their roster is and with their defense is very unimpressive. So if they don't have a healthy offense, I see them getting walloped. I mean walloped in the playoffs. The only thing that concerns me is the Titans, the rest, the final four games of their schedule, a lot prettier than the Colts' final four games. To finish out, the Titans, they have the Jags. You can mark that off as a win. The Steelers, the Dolphins, and the Texans. So the Steelers and the Dolphins are, the Steelers have a lot to play for, and the Dolphins are a really hot team right now. So those are really the only two potential losses I see out of that. But for the Colts, I mean, you have to play the hottest team in the NFL right now, which is the New England Patriots. You have to play the number one seed in the NFC, which is the Cardinals. You have to play the the Las Vegas Raiders, who are playing good football this year. They're... They, they have been a little off the last few weeks, but the Raiders are not a bad football team by any means. And then you get you get an easy one with the Jags to finish it out. But, I mean, Pats, Cardinals, Raiders, none of those are an easy game. None of those are a guarantee. And you probably have to win at least two out of three of those games and win the Jags game if you want a chance and rely on the Titans to probably lose two of those games. So if you're relying on the Titans losing to the Steelers and Dolphins and relying on the Colts to beat the Pats, Cardinals, and Raiders, I don't know how my chances are looking. But, Ed, we've seen a lot of football, and we know anything is possible. And with with how good Jonathan Taylor is playing right now, I don't want to count the Colts out. I know, I know the odds are against him, but I just don't want to count the Colts out, man. I don't. I just think a 1.5 game advantage is hard to <laughs> overcome. But what, what, I, what I will say is, like, I think the Colts have more good players on their team than the Titans. But the Titans can just I mean the Titans can throw the ball, right? The Titan the Titans can throw the ball. That that that's that's really 
I mean, you talk about Titans being able to throw the ball, whereas you know the Colts kind of went defense and running. Um, we know we know what what the NFL wants right now at this point. Right, but I do want to I do want to point out, you know, although Carson Wentz isn't blowing people out of the water with his like you know production, he has been exceptionally good for. I think he's been everything that the Colts have asked for him. He's done everything that the Colts needed out of him. They weren't asking him to do too much. They were asking him to take over or to take care of the football, which he has always been really good at doing throughout his career, is taking care of the ball and, you know, get these conversions, win the close games, which there's been a few close games where they weren't able to pull it out, and one one being against the Titans, which really would have helped with playoffs. But, you know, Carson Wentz isn't having a bad season. He, I think he has two interceptions on the season. I mean, he's got one of the best. Him and Kirk have one of the best touchdown interception ratios in the league. And I, I don't, I don't think Carson Wentz is somebody that's getting enough credit. But, um, but like you said, this is a very defensive-based team. It's, it's the offense is you know surrounded by the run game. Yeah, a one and a half game is really, really, really hard to come by or to come back from. I just, I really want to see the Colts do it. I want to see the Colts do it just because I, I love my running backs. I love to see Jonathan Taylor do what he's doing, and he's really helped to, you know, this Colts team was supposed to be this good. They were supposed to be really good. I mean, you look at their roster, they really have one of the most impressive rosters in the AFC. It, it's it's a, kind of a lot of underrated names on the defensive side of the ball, but the, the production is there. They have a very, very good roster. And, you know, Ed, I, I just want to get an opinion from you. Jonathan Taylor is, you know, probably been the best offensive player, maybe football player, the last six weeks or so. Do you think Jonathan Taylor deserves at least an MVP vote? I mean, uh, yes, an MVP vote definitely. I mean, uh, I think more than more than more than one or two MVP votes. The problem is, I mean, he's the best running back in the country, right? I mean, he's the best running back, I should say, in the NFL. But I mean, he's the leading rusher. But uh, you know, we we know we know this is a quarterback league. I mean, this we we know that this is a quarterback's award, right? We give this award to a quarterback almost every year, and it's just like the Heisman. And we know that you know whether he's deserving, whether he you know has thirty six touchdowns and you know rushes for two thousand yards. Um, you know, he's, it's still going to go to a quarterback, right? Um, so I, I would say probably best, best, I I think this is Brady's award. Like, I think, I think if there's anybody who deserves this award this year, it's Brady. No, I agree with you. I think Tom Brady will get the, you know, most valuable player award, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think Jonathan Taylor deserves at least a couple of votes, um, which Crazy, crazy random stat here. If Jonathan Taylor gets a couple of votes, I'll be kind of mind boggled because somebody by the name of Russell Wilson has never, ever received a single MVP vote in his entire career. So if I just I wouldn't be surprised because we've seen Russ have MVP like seasons and doesn't even get a vote. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jonathan Taylor, you know, go for 1800 yards and have near 20 touchdowns. And still not get a vote. It would be it would be a blasphemy. It would be it, he he deserves one. Absolutely, he deserves one because when Derrick Henry was going on his tear, everybody was saying Derrick Henry deserves the MVP right now, and I agreed. I Derrick Henry when he was playing and he was healthy, he was the best football player in the NFL. He deserved the MVP award, and Jonathan Taylor right now is is he's right up there with that production that you know since the Colts have been on that hot streak. Jonathan's Taylor production has been out of this world. Absolutely deserves a vote, but like you said, Ed, it's it's a quarterback's award, and we it it's probably going to go to Tom Brady, which I I believe he deserves it. Yeah, I I believe he deserves it. There's one name I want to be like included in this conversation. Let's hear it, Derek Carr. Okay, okay, hey. I, I love Derek Carr. I love Derek Carr. I just bought I a think... Derek Carr jersey. I'm just saying. I, <laughs> okay. I, I just bought one. I just I opened up the wallet and bought a Derek Carr jersey. Dude, I respect it. And, I respect and, and, it. And the reason the reason why is you talk about losing Gruden, not going with a head coach, and keeping them above water, keeping them in the race 
in the playoff race, that that's a leader, right? That's a leader by definition, right? He's a leader. You know, what Henry Ruggs said, he was a leader. The way he's producing on the field, I mean, he's 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 living up to I I think he's a top ten quarterback in the league. Top oh, 10, absolutely. Top ten quarterback absolutely. in the league. And top ten quarterback on the field, leader off the field. I think he deserves his name at least in consideration. I, I think I think they should I think sports writers who are voting should be talking about this name. No, I respect that, Ed, because and you look at the rest of the Raiders. I mean, Josh Jacobs, yeah, the name is there, but the production's not. The Raiders have one of the worst rushing offensives in the NFL, and he is kept he's kept it like you said above water. Losing your head coach in the middle of the season, who was on a ten-year contract, you you lose your number one receiver to a very hard situation. You played without Darren Waller the last couple weeks, and this guy's still balling. I mean, I I've said that the last few years, Derek Carr is probably the most underrated player in the NFL. And just go watch a Derek Carr game, and you'll see what we're talking about, you guys. The dude's ball placement is out of this freaking world. There, there's probably one other quarterback in the league that I think carries a team as much as Derek Carr does because the last few years, the Raiders' defense has been abysmal. He has not had that much offensive you know, talent around him, but I get the Raiders have never been necessarily a dominant team, but they're a poverty franchise without Derek Carr in my eyes. I, I think this if you take out Derek Carr and give him you know, an average quarterback, the Raiders are not a good football team. I really don't think so. That's a hard question to answer. I, I think that I think there's some some depth on that team. I, re- I, I really I th- do. I really do. I, I I do think there are some good football players on that team. I think that I I'm not saying there's not, but if you take Derek Carr off of that football team, I think they're the fourth best team in the AFC West. Definitely, absolutely. Behind the All Broncos, right. behind the yep. Chiefs, behind San uh, Los Angeles. I'm showing my right. Age. But if if you have Derek Carr on that football <laughs> team. There's a chance they're the second best team in that division, you know? Like, he gives that team such a big advantage, and he's just, he's a competitor, man. Every game you watch, if it's if it's down to the wire, Derek Carr never quits on his team. He does everything he can to try to keep his team in, in the game, and it's he's been doing it for the last, you know, like seven years or something like that, and he's, he's never really gotten the credit he deserves. And, oh, man, I'm so happy you mentioned his name because all of my roommates love to make fun of Derek Carr and I'm just in the corner defending him. And it, it hurts me to defend him because I like Denver. You know, I'm, I really love the Denver Broncos. And seeing Derek Carr whip on Denver the last, you know, the last four years since Manning left, he's owned the Broncos. The last five, or longer than four years, but he's owned the Broncos since Manning left. And I've seen a lot of Derek Carr. And that guy really, truly is, he really is one of the most impressive quarterbacks I watch in the National Football League. I'm so happy you mentioned that name, Ed. And, you know, we were talking a little bit about losing your head coach and everything and how he's been able to stay afloat. There's There might be a lot of teams that lose their head coach this offseason, Ed. Looks like there's a lot of coaches that are sitting in the hot seat, and some of them kind of, not even necessarily the hot seat, the molten lava seat. I mean, those are, like, melting. They're so hot. And the first one that comes to my mind, Ed, is the Vikings coach, Mike Zimmer. I, I mean, like... What's your argument for that? Because I, I, I thought about that name, and I, I just, I think he's really well-liked by that fan base. So I, okay, so here's my counter-argument to that. I have a roommate, huge, huge Vikings fan. Probably the biggest Mike Zimmer hater I've ever met in my entire life. Really? And yeah, yeah. So the only, like, he's been with the, the Vikings for about a decade now. He's been given probably a top five defensive roster for at least six of those years. I mean, the Vikings defensive roster has been otherworldly every year. Every year, that linebacking core is disgusting. You always have a very solid edge rusher. You've had Harrison Smith, who is the last eight years probably like had the longest consistently elite safety in the NFL. You've had a solid second. I mean, he has had some insane teams. And then you have Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, You've had really, really impressive rosters, and I get it. The best quarterback you've had to work with is Kirk Cousins. I get it. I get it. But the thing is, like, Kirk Cousins, yes, he, you know, a lot of people make fun of him, but at the same time, 
Kirk Cousins is better than probably 17 other quarterbacks in the NFL. Like Kirk, statistically, he really is. Kirk Cousins takes better care of the football than almost any other quarterback in the NFL. He's not going to blow you out of the world with his stats. And he makes some boneheaded throws sometimes. He really does. But with the amount of talent that the Vikings have had throughout the year and the amount of games they've lost in the last second due to one bad call or one coaching error, is it's just inexcusable because it's, I get it, if it happens for a couple of times or, you know, even three years, you can learn from that. You can learn. He's heading into, I think this is like his ninth year with the Vikings, and it's just they're losing in the same ways. There's it's It's the same Vikings year in, year out. One of the best rosters in the league should be able to compete. And when you go watch them, they can compete with any team. They went into overtime with Baltimore and blew it. They should have had that win. And then guess what? They went and lose to the Lions. This team's just all over the place. So they can play to any opponent. They just don't. And I really think it's it's something to do with Mike Zimmer not adjusting. And I, you know, it would have been nice to see what he can do with a you know, elite level quarterback. But I think after 10 years and making it to the NFC Championship one time, I I don't know. I don't know if you can hold on to that any longer. What about, what about, uh, I mean, could you, could you say he's never really been given the, the offensive line, though, that he needs? I, I mean, I guess you could, but at the same time, I, I mean, at one point a few years ago, the Vikings actually did have a very solid offensive line, but it's, you know, how many coaches have gotten fired and not been, you know, it's it's really hard to give a coach every single last aspect you could want, you know. Part of that is on the coach working with the guys that he's been given, you know. That's that's a part of football. It's really hard to have a team that's perfect on every aspect of your team. I mean, even even the Buccaneers last year, their secondary was not good, but every other aspect of their team was incredible. So it's 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 nearly impossible to get every part of that team perfect, but when you have like I said, one of the best defensive rosters. Your skill positions players are probably top five in the NFL. And you have a guy that takes care of the football. Okay, I mean, you're kind of you're kind of saying, okay, now give me the best offensive line. That's just really hard to ask for because we've given you the best defense. We've given you, you know, Justin Jefferson, who had 1,500 receiving yards as a rookie. What more do you want from us, Mike Zimmer? So, He's gotten an abundance of talent. Yeah, you could say that he hasn't really been given the best offensive line to work with, but at the end of the day, you kind of have to win with what you're given, and and he just he wasn't able to. So one name one name that's pretty hot right now, on the hot seat, is Matt Nagy from uh, from the Bears. I mean, what wh- yes, wh- what are your thoughts on this? I agree. I agree to the fullest extent, and it's this one is kind of you know. Matt Nagy has won a lot more games than people actually realize. Like, Matt Nagy has a winning record with the Bears. It's just this season has proven that he's not really the guy that's going to adjust for the best the best of his team. We, we saw it. The second Justin Fields got put in there, the game plan did not fit with Justin Fields' skill set. He was getting eaten alive. He was still running that Andy Dalton offense that Matt Nagy wanted. The entirety of Matt Nagy being the offensive play caller, Justin Fields looked horrendous. I mean horrible. He looked awful. And he, it was it was a schematic thing. They weren't setting Fields up for success. They weren't utilizing his skill set whatsoever. The second, I mean the second Matt Nagy handed his play calling over to the offensive coordinator, we saw Justin Fields light it up. That was literally the second that they handed the play calling over to the offensive coordinator, Justin Fields looked like a brand new quarterback. And it happened in the playoffs when in, when uh, Matt Nagy, hand, the, a couple years ago when the Bears were in the playoffs, Matt Nagy handed over the play calling to the offensive coordinator and the offensive picked up the production by a million miles. So if you're having somebody superior to the head coach finding the best out of your team, I think that's an issue. Um, if your head coach shows that he's not willing to adjust for the betterment of your franchise, hope hopefully franchise quarterback that you use the the first round pick on to, to if you're not trying to build him up, build an offense around him and work around him to bring the best out of him, you you kind of have to move on. That's that's like it's almost disrespectful to your pick 
to, to just sit there and let them get eaten alive and know that you can fix that simply by changing your scheme and getting rid of the Andy Dalton scheme. And he, he showed that he didn't want to do that. And I just, I know a lot of Bears, like every Bears fan I know despises Matt Nagy. They despise him. So if, if you're not maximizing your quarterback success and you know, your offensive coordinator knows how to do that and you don't, I don't know. I, I think it's time for Nagy to maybe step down and find a coordinator position or something like that, because I, I don't know if he's the guy to be a head coach, especially I, I truly believe that Fields has the talent to be a quarterback in this league, and I want to see him get a coach that's going to bring it out of him. All right, another name, and I, I kind of know where you're going to lean with this, but what's your what's your thoughts on Vic Fangio? What's, ah, yes, I'm so happy you asked me, Vic Fangio. Okay, so this one I'm actually, like, it's crazy because if Denver's not scraping by with these wins, you know, everybody kind of knows Vic Fangio's gone, right? I mean, you'd have to be if Denver, if Den- but somehow, some way, Denver's sitting at 6-6. Six and six, And if, if they weren't in the AFC West, they'd probably have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. And they still do. If they somehow, you know, win a handful of these division games that are, you know, heading out for the rest of the season, they have a legitimate chance. I, I want to defend Fangio before I rip him, okay? Fangio is a phenomenal, I mean phenomenal, defensive mind. He might be one of the best in the NFL. The dude knows his football, and I'm not denying that in any way, shape, or form. I truly think that if he was a defensive coordinator, which he was with the Bears, he is a top three defensive coordinator in the NFL. And with what he's been given at the quarterback position, it's really hard to, it's it's like, you think Mike Zimmer had it bad with Kirk Cousins. I mean, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, I, I would take Kirk Cousins over those two any day of the week, any day of the week. And so I just, with Vic Fangio, I can't keep him. I just can't because his thing when he came to Denver was there was no more death by inches. I cannot tell you how many times Denver has died by inches. You have to stick to your word as a head coach. If if your thing is not dying from inches, that's the one thing you can't do. But Denver is really, really, really good at it. And I've also seen him make a consistent error over and over just with like the misuse of clock management, the misuse of timeouts, misuse of challenges. And it's come back to, to, to hurt Denver in the end and they lose the game. It's just little, little things like last week against the Chiefs, or not uh, like the last time they played the Chiefs, Javante, there was a play on, it was like a fourth down or something like that. You could tell Javante Williams did not know what was going on with the play, lined up out of position, and they, there was a turnover on downs. Instead of doing anything, like calling, you you had all your timeouts available. You had everything you could have done right there to maximize your opportunity to convert on this fourth down. Yet, they didn't do anything about it. So it's, it's just to... It's the same thing as kind of Zimmer. He's not fixing these errors, and it's it's the same thing that bites us week in and week out. So I really don't think you can keep a guy that's showing that he's not willing to change and grow. And my other my other argument to kind of having to get rid of Fangio is I really think if you want to win the playoffs, Ed, division matchups are like the key, the key to success. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to be successful within the division. You have to. No ifs, ands, or buts. You got to win division matchups. And he is awful. He has never beaten the Kansas City Chiefs. Fun fact, the Broncos have never beaten Patrick Mahomes. Ever, ever, ever. They have a, they have one win against the Raiders, and they fare pretty good against the Chargers. But if you are getting your butt kicked every single week by the teams that are competitive in your division, you're never going to get an opportunity to make the playoffs. You will never make the playoffs if you go 0-4 against the two best teams in your division. It's just not going to happen. So I need a coach that's going to be able to win these games. And if I think, and if Denver goes in the direction of finding a new quarterback, a new young quarterback next year, I think you have to get a fresh start from the head coaching position as well. Brendan, last name I want to talk to you about, uh, Urban Meyer from the Jaguars. Do you want me to know if I think he should keep his job? No, I don't think he should keep his job. I really don't. I This Jacksonville team is really bad. Really bad. And I, I, you know, 
it's not all on Urban Meyer. It's just not. But I think we've talked about his name enough for it to, you know, to kind of be one and done. We were saying it at the beginning of this, at, you know, kind of mid-beginning season, he should be one and done. With all the stuff that happened outside of the locker room with him not being professional, it just shows that you're not, you're, your head's not there for the team, you know? I want a head coach that's working his tail off for me constantly, trying to, you know, better me as a, as a rookie. Trevor Lawrence, I really does not, I don't think he has a great supporting cast when it comes to coaching and building him to be this franchise quarterback. I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence for the situation he's in. I don't know, man. It's watching, watching Jacksonville games, they're just so poorly coached. They, some of the, half of the play calls don't make any sense. And I, I really do think Urban Meyer is, he's, he's just a college guy. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not a bad thing. It takes a different mind. It takes a different skill set to be successful in college. That's not me, you know, dis, dis, you know, disrespecting Urban Meyer's football knowledge in any way. I just, I think he's a college quarterback and it's no deeper than that. And I, I think the NFL, you know, kind of just how much more competitive the NFL is. It's a lot for this guy to handle. And you could see that he's, you know, he's not handling the stress in a way that's healthy for the rest of the football team that sets a, you know, sets a good image for the team. And if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguar, if I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars football player, I want a new head coach that's going to, that's going to ride for me as hard as I would ride for him. So no, I think you got to get rid of Urban Meyer, Ed. Ed, I'm glad, I'm really glad you asked me those last two, those last two coaches, because I am pretty passionate about them getting, you know, getting fired. And it, it sucks. I know they're human beings, but I love I love seeing a successful football team. I want I want these teams to figure it out. And those are two teams that, you know, their their fans deserve to see success and I think the players deserve it as well. But Ed, this was this was a really fun show. Uh, it went a lot faster than I was expecting, man. It's it's always a great time when I'm talking about football with you. Yeah, it's been great, Brendan. Uh, I really appreciate you, Ed, and I really appreciate everybody tuning into this episode of Blitzcast. We'll be back with you next week for another fantastic episode, and I hope you all have a fantastic rest of your day.